I was saved from a very embarrassing moment last Saturday because I was coming here last Sunday to preach <laughs> and I was talking to my neighbour and I suddenly realised, no, it's not last Sunday that I was meant to be but here this Sunday. So it's lovely to be here. I've had my sermon prepared for a week. <laughs> um, our daughter um, had a strange experience just a week or so ago. Uh, during the night, um, she heard her name being called out, Nicole, Nicole. Uh, and uh, I go around there every Wednesday to pick up some stuff. And she said, oh, it's Dad. And I go around normally early in the morning. So she gets out of bed, looks at a clock, and it's two o'clock in the middle of the night. And she hears Nicole, Nicole again. Can't see anything. And then at that particular moment, she had this sense of some verses in Isaiah that she'd been reading. And um, as she reflected on it, it was like the Lord was saying to her, in regards to some stuff concerning myself and herself, I've got this. Um, now, I don't have experiences uh, like that, but it's true, isn't it, that there are times when you hear someone say, oh, God told me. Sometimes that annoys me because it's like you better take and notice what I'm about to say, but there are genuine times when people say, God told me, and do you ever have that moment within you where you say, I wish God would speak to me in such a way? And I think this morning, as we look at the Ethiopian eunuch, we're going to partially answer the question of times when God seems just that little bit further away than we want him to be, and when we want him to talk to us, we feel as though our hearing aids off. A week before our... Uh, seven-year-old granddaughter died unexpectedly. Uh, she had an unusual experience too. She woke and went into her mum and dad's bedroom and said, there are two angels at the bottom of my bed. What do you say to your seven-year-old daughter when she says that? I don't know. But Philip had that experience, didn't he? Verse 26 says, if you've got your Bibles, you might like to open them up to Acts chapter 8 because I'll be referring to as we go along. Verse 26 says, an angel appeared to Philip and he says, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And this road was some form of highway, but it was obviously very dusty, um, remote because um, uh, Luke tells us, he describes it as this is a desert place. Now what's unusual, because you and I have read this story many times and I've heard many stories and good good sermons on the Ethiopian eunuch on evangelism. Uh, that's not the tack I'm taking this morning. But um, what's unusual about this? I've read this story many times. And the first thing that struck me as unusual, um, he doesn't tell him where to go. He just says, go down to the Gaza Road and gives him no explanation as to why. Tells him where to go, but there's no explanation as to why. 
And as he goes off, <clears throat> we're not told the mode of transport that he takes. I'm assuming he's walking. He may not have been. I don't know. But as he's going down the road to Gaza, up rolls his chariot. Probably a deluxe model, uh, considering who the person was that was in it. Um, I don't know how fast the chariot's travelling, but uh, slow enough for Philip to catch up to it. And then he has another strange experience. He's told to go to the Gaza Road. No explanation as to why. He's a chariot. And the spirit says within him, go up to it. Now, he's not told actually what to do until he gets up to the chariot and he sees... um, the eunuch there with a scroll in his hand reading Isaiah. Now, I want you to get the vibe of how unusual this situation is. You're in your car at the lights, okay? Stop. And you get this sense that God's saying to you, get out of your car, (laughs) walk back three vehicles to the semi-trailer where there's an indigenous driver and talk to him. Would you feel that that was unusual if you had that experience? Because that's what's happening here. Um, and then on top of this, we've got the eunuch himself. Uh, he's a treasurer to Candace. I didn't realise this till I was reading about it the other week, that Candace actually wasn't her name. It's a title. You know, just like king is a title or pharaoh is a title. Candace was a title. And this Candace was obviously of great influence as a queen. And yet what's unusual about this is here is this Ethiopian. He's not in his own homeland. He's a foreigner. He's obviously on personal business. And he's not reading the local Ethiopian news, is he? He's reading the scriptures. Now, why? Why is this Ethiopian doing what he's doing? Now, the obvious answer in the scripture is that he has gone to Jerusalem to worship Jehovah. But surely there were alternative gods in in the Ethiopian area where he lived. No, this is a Gentile believer what we would commonly call a proselyte. But what is the key to this passage to me as I was reflecting and reading on it is that this man is a seeker. He's a seeker. Let me give you five points as to why he's a seeker. This is quick. One, because he's gone to Jerusalem to worship. Verse 27, he'd come to Jerusalem to worship. Two, He was reading the scriptures. Verse 30, do you understand what you are reading? You show me someone who is regularly reading the scriptures and I'll show you a seeker. Three, he's wanting to know the meaning of what's in the scriptures. (laughs) Have you ever had your Bible reading and thought, what have I just read? (laughs) You know, those moments. You read it again and you think, what have I just read because your mind is out for lunch. This guy's mind isn't out for lunch. He wants to understand what is in the scriptures. Four, he's willing to listen. 
verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, so he must have gone to other scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus. Ever talk to someone who all they do is talk? And after a while, it becomes quite torturous to try to concentrate, to listen as to what they're trying to get in. I must confess, I try to ask a question so I can keep my mind on the same wavelength of the person I'm talking to. This man's not a talker. He's listening. He's soaking in what Philip's saying because he's a seeker. And then fifthly, (laughs) I love this, verse 36. See, here is water. What's preventing me from being baptised? He's seeking. He wants to do what God has called him to do and he puts his faith in Jesus. It's a remarkable story, but I want us to look at the heart of this man. It is a heart that seeks. As I was reading this, I thought, oh, that's nice. (laughs) And then I thought, wait a minute. There are actually two seekers in this story. Because I want to suggest to you this morning that the other seeker in this story was Philip. Philip himself. You say, well, what makes you describe Philip as a seeker? I think in a word, in a couple of words, there was no hesitation in Philip's heart. He gets this strange command, go down to the road of Gaza. There's no, what would I go down there for? No, bang, he's gone. He's walking down the road and he sees a chariot and the spirit says to him, go to the chariot. Bang, no hesitation. He's up there in the chariot. And then bang, he explains the gospel to Philip, baptises him, bang, he's gone. (laughs) Because God's got other things to do. There is no hesitation within the heart of Philip. And that to me is a sign of a seeker. He sought God and it shows it in the way in which he responded to what God was asking him to. And then as I thought about this, I thought, isn't that a picture of the Christian life? For those of you who know Jesus here this morning, it started with you seeking. For some of you, it was very quick. For others of you, it was a period of time. For me, it was like that. As a seven-year-old in a little country school up in New South Wales with 17 kids in that school. Bang. I saw Jesus and found him as a seven-year-old. But just as it's true that we seek Jesus when we come to know him and he finds us, Isn't it true that the seeking process continues where we lean into the heart of Jesus and seek to know what he wants for us day by day and moment by moment? Because you see, seeking is an absolute necessity as part of our DNA in the fibre and the skin of our Christian life. I'm going to throw some verses at you. You've probably heard them, but this is just to convince you of that, okay? Hang on to your seats. 1 Chronicles 22:19. 19. 
Now devote your heart and soul to seeking the Lord your God. 1 Chronicles 7.14, everyone knows this one. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Matthew 22.37.38, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great, greatest commandment. You say, wait a minute, seek's not in there. Well, you, you're not going to tell me that I can love God with all my heart, soul, and mind and not and do it with a half-seeking heart? Can't love God with all our soul, heart, mind, etc., etc., unless there is that seeker element that beats deeply within our heart. And the great promise of, of seeking is this. I love this. 1 Chronicles 28, 9. If you seek him, he will be what? found by you. So it's true that seeking is a necessity of our Christian life, but the beautiful benefit is, is you'll find him. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. James 4, 8, Luke 9, 10. Seek and you will find. But there's an even better thing than we find, than we just find him. There's a reward to the seeking heart. Hebrews eleven six. Whoever draws into God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And for some of us this week, as we've sought him, we've found him, and he's rewarded us. There's nothing like it. Necessity within your heart and in my heart is the seeking element. A2 milk. Dearer than the normal milk. Unfortunately, we've got enough money to still afford to keep on getting A2 milk. (laughs) 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 Uh, One of the things that got us into it was there is a guy who's in East Doncaster, uh, Gospel Chapel Ridge now, who used to work on it. He told us about the benefits of it. Anyone drink A2 milk here? Oh, I see one hand. We've got two convicts. And we all drink milk. And I wonder whether you drink this particular milk. Used by day, 24th of April. Now, today is May the 7th. Okay. I want to show our hands. If this had May the 6th, Hands up if you would still drink it. Oh, I love you guys, I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> My lovely wife down here the other day, this is the other one. Um, I said, darling, uh, the milk's a couple of days over. She said, it's all right. I just can't do it. <laughs> and, and do any of you do this? Do this? <laughs> And then you check to see if it's gone to yoga. There's just that, that stage of milk when it starts to go off. I had that experience in my own walk with Jesus. Something's just not right. You're not quite. 
we say, I'm quoted to you that when things, for whatever reason, we start to have that sense of oh, the taste in my mouth in terms of my walk with Jesus isn't what it should be. I quoted to you that the core reason behind that is that the seek factor has suffered. It suffered in one way or another. And how is how's the flavour of your life at the moment? How's the flavour of mine? What's the seek factor been like this week? Uh, what's the signs of a seeker? I think there are three, and I'll just give them to you briefly from this passage. There are many others. Greater sermons than I'm about to give you today have been given on seeking God. But these are the three that I got from the passage. The first sign of a seeker is they want to find Jesus to the point where nothing else matters. And that's that's the flavour of Philip, isn't it? Um, go to Gaza. Nothing else mattered. No questions. Bang, he was gone. Get up in the chariot. No questions. Because nothing else mattered than to do what Jesus asked him to do. That's the first sign, I think, of a person who's a seeker. You, you know that, that well-known passage of the, the seller. Um, I'm fascinated with one of those seeds. It says this in Matthew 13, 22. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. <laughs> In other words, if the bad things of life, the anxieties, etc., etc., of this world don't get you, the good things will. <laughs> that, that, that's what it's saying. Um, I don't think I need to make a list for you this morning, of those things which may cause you anxiety today. But you know and I know that if we let them get hold of us, it stifles the seek factor in their life because it distracts us. And then, as I said, if the bad things don't do, then the good things do. Well, what do I mean by, what's it mean by the good things? What's it mean by this expression the deceitfulness of wealth. Well, when we went to Hillsville, we built a house. And if you build a house, what colour are the tiles going to be? What will we have the walls? What colour should it be? And you can get so taken up with what you're doing, it's a distraction. And if you bought a new car lately, what colour will I get? What extras shall I get? Um, let me read up the brochures. Let me Google it. <laughs> let me go down and talk to this person. Let me play it off again. And it possesses you. How about Christmas time? When you go, you're making a list of the things you've got to buy for your kids, your grandkids, and your great grandkids, and the neighbour next door, and the dog, and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> what am I going to get them? Da, 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 da. And it just distracts you. And before you know it, 
a taste of your Christian life is just starting to go up. Do you see, I think the first evidence of a seeker is they want what Jesus wants no matter what and nothing is going to distract them. You had anything distract you this week? Anything? Anything distract you? The second, the second one, and I think this one probably grabs me more than anything, is that the seeker grasps the moment. Um, the Lord says to Philip, "Go," and Philip goes, "Bang!" And he grips. In fact, when you look at this whole story, it's almost like um, a moment in time. Go. Speak to the chariot, speak to the chariot, not the chariot, <laughs> speak to the Ethiopian, bang, go to Azotos and there share the gospel. It just seems to go so quickly. It's a moment. One moment, Philip's here, the next moment he's in the chariot and the next moment he's in Azotos. It's, it's a moment of opportunity that God gives Philip and he grasps that moment. And I'd like to put it to you this morning that life is made up of moments of opportunity. You say, well, it's all right for you. You don't live the life that I live. It's, you know, get up and do it. Um, you see, we have a choice. And that, that choice is, oh, what do I do this week? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Next week, I can't remember the other week. And it's life. It's like, like we are just drifting along like a bit of driftwood in a, in a local stream which is flooded. Just happens. Another year's gone by. Versus every moment of a day is a God-given opportunity for me to live for him. So I'm walking around the lake up there at Hillsville. We go for walks up there. There's a little lake or a complex or a sporting reserve. As I'm walking along, <laughs> I bump into these two eight-year-old kids, right? Um, and one of them's got a fish this long that he's caught. I looked and I said, whoa, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> he, he was so excited. It's the first time he'd ever gone fishing. He catches his rainbow trout this big. <laughs> and I look at him and I said, wow. I said, my grandson goes fishing. He says, yeah, mate, go home and tell him you met two kids up the lake and they caught a fish. <laughs> and, I said, Great. and I walked on. I didn't share Jesus. Just that's what I did. Go up. Saturday morning, this is our ritual, I get out of bed, go down, little cafe where they make these beautiful homemade croissants. Get two croissants, cup of coffee, takeaway cup, extra hot, I could say volcanic hot. Pam has hot, so we come home. Don't tell anyone, this is just to be careful. We sit up in bed Saturday morning, read the paper, have our croissants. Is that existing? I get talking to T. He's the guy who owns it. How you going, T? 
How's the baby going? All eight months now, crawling. It's great. You see, the mundane and the trivial we often dismiss. But the fact of the matter is you have Jesus in your life and he is the light of the world and that light is in you. I hope this works. Yes, it does. <laughs> He's in me. When I'm talking to those guys about their fish, when I'm talking to T about that cup of coffee that I get from him every Sunday, when I say hi to Dan next door, he's just put his house in the market. This light is shining if I am seeking Jesus. If I'm not, and I'm off, and that's all I get. You say, oh, isn't, isn't that drawing a long bow that in the mundane and the ordinary of life where we're doing what many people would dismiss as trivial, isn't that drawing a long bow that it's somehow important? Well, isn't it important that Jesus is within you? Isn't it important that he is the light? Yeah, but you might say, well, how's his light shining when I'm not even talking about him? John MacArthur says this, when believers display diligent work attitudes and habits and live in a loving and tranquil manner that respects others' privacy, respects others' privacy and does not intrude or gossip, it constitutes a powerful testimony to unbelievers and makes the gospel credible. I quoted this last time I was here. Francis of Assisi says, Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Implicit in this saying is the understanding that often the most powerful sermons are unspoken. When we have integrity and live consistently by our standards, people notice when we radiate joy and happiness, they are even more so. And when Jesus was hanging there on the cross, did he say, hey guys, let me tell you about the fact that I am the Son of God? No. But his death so shone that the centurion says, truly, this man is the Son of God. His life shone. And as you have lived this week, have you seen the mundane and the ordinary as being that where your light can shine and it will not if you don't have a seeker's heart. It will if you do have a seeker's heart. Grasp the opportunities which are peculiar to you. When you're washing up and your kids are there, when your grandkids come over, when you walk down the street, when you see that same girl at the checkout who works at the Coles, Speak to them. Just be Jesus to them. And then lastly, I think the evidence of a seeker is this. This seems obvious, I suppose. Seekers walk by faith, not by sight. 
See, Philip didn't ask for any detail, did he? Didn't ask for detail. Jesus said, do it. And he said, okay, I'll do it. Can't understand it, but I'll do it. He walked by faith, not by sight. Wait a minute, I don't know the way to go. So wait a minute, do you realise how long it's going? No, 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 no. That's sight. He walked by faith. And then there's faith in, in the Ethiopian eunuch. Isaiah is opened up and he sees Jesus and he exercises faith and he says, here's the water, the whole passage here is filled with faith. The funny thing about faith that many, many times, and including this week you will have been challenged with this, I guarantee, as to whether you have walked by faith or not by sight. Ask Joshua. Walk around the walls for seven days, seven day walk around seven times and yell out and blow a trumpet. Sight says that's ridiculous, doesn't it? Wave a stick, a wave a stick over the Red Sea. <laughs> that's ridiculous by sight. Absolutely ridiculous. Put a knife in your son. That's ridiculous, sight says. Faith doesn't. Um, this week, <laughs> last problem. This week, you will have received maybe, I don't know, some of you may receive some form of a bill, right? Think, how am I going to pay that? That's what sight says. I know what I'll do, I'll borrow. I know what I'll do, I'll ask so-and-so. I know what I'll do, I'll sell such-and-such. That is sight. Faith. Bang. Doesn't look at that. Looks upwards to Jesus and says, you are the provider, I live with you. I walk by faith, not by sight. You know what it says in Romans 12, yeah? you know that verse, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Conformity to this world is, what am I going to do? This relationship, I can't sort it out. What am I going to do? In regards to my kids with this, I don't know what I'll do. What will I do next year? My super, it's dropped through the floor because of what's happening in the economy. I go on and on and on and sight says, no, no, no. But faith says, I seek you, Jesus. This is yours. The seeker walks by faith not by sight. So, I finish by asking you these questions. Have we been seeking God with all our heart this week when nothing else matters? Have we been drifting through this week or have we grasped the moments of the mundane this week and say, let my light shine? Have we been distracted by anxiety this week and tried to come to owner's solutions or have we said, no, I seek you? Up our way um, in Hillsville,
um, my, my son-in-law um, goes hunting and up our own hills there are heaps of deer, heaps of them. They're everywhere. Um, when people down the suburbs see a deer, oh, it's so cute, so nice, but up our way there's many people there are a nuisance actually. But you know what I'd, I'd love to see? I've never seen them. I've seen them in movies. You know those magnificent stag deers? And you know, with their horns that just seem to reach up into the sky to the stars. And um, you see picture of them standing majestically on top of a mountain range. There's, there's something brilliant about them. But there's a picture painted of a deer that is running. Running from a hunter. Running from the dogs, as it were or running maybe from a pack of wolves. And it breaks through the the undergrowth, smashing it left, right and set, a cord in its magnificent antlers, and eventually it escapes. And it comes down to a a cool stream with its little pink tongue hanging out. And the psalmist says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you. That deer wants nothing else but the water. Do we want nothing else but Jesus? Hey, I trust that this will encourage you to seek him even more so this week and find him and find the reward that goes with it. Gracious God, we thank you for... Uh, this incredible story of the seeking heart of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. We thank you that your light is within us. And oh Lord, we want it to shine. Not only individually, but within the church here. So that but people who go past and see us as a church family would see the light of Jesus and would have an appetite to seek you and to find you. Lord, will you bless us this week and encourage us to seek you with all of our heart. And all of God's people said, Amen.